Right? All right. Man, just as my, my friend Jonathan shared, welcome. We are so glad you're here. My name's John. I serve as pastor here at the Springs. And just as he said, if it's your first time, you've been coming a long time. Man, I'm glad that you came and you took the time to walk in here. Even as we were singing some of those songs before, I was thinking about what it's like to walk into a local church, right, for the first time in a long time, for the first time in ever, or even if you regularly go to church, what it's like to walk in a different facility with different faces, with different people, not know anyone, the tension of the meet and greet moment where they say, stand up to meet your neighbor, and on the inside, you're like, no, no. And then you're like, but I have to do it because everyone else is. Hi, yeah, pleasure, nice to meet you. Like wherever you are in coming, thank you for leaning into that. Here's what we hope that you find throughout this whole time. We are imperfect people who have real faith in Jesus Christ. He really does love you. He really does want a relationship with you. And you really can get to know him in a way that changes you. That's exactly what we're going to talk about today in every gathering that we ever have. So if you have a faith, pray with me. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the chance to come and remind ourselves of you, to focus on your love and what you've done for us and how that love, it compels us. We are called to live differently. We are called to pursue you, not to earn a relationship with you because we have one, but because we know true love. Would you make that a reality? Would you come and do what only you can do And that's either help folks to know you for the first time and bring those who know you into a deeper love and appreciation of you. If you're here and you have a faith, I'd appreciate it if you took the next 10 seconds and prayed that God would use this time in your life to strengthen and grow your faith. If you would, please take another 10 seconds and pray for me. Pray that my heart would be yielded to the Holy Spirit, that I would be helpful and useful to the Master. We love you, God. You know, with with that song that we sang, like we, we give you our heart, I have decided to follow Jesus. Make that more and more true. Make us faithful, knowing your faithfulness towards us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. I was talking with a friend of mine this past week, and he brought up this kind of like famous Christian, this like historical Christian that I had heard of before. I knew a bit of her story, but I never really knew the details. Raise your hand here if you've heard of Corey Tin Boom, right? Okay, maybe some folks who grew up in church, maybe you were like me, like I, I knew of her, I knew a little bit about her story, a little bit about kind of her background, but I honestly, until this past week, full admission, I did not really know the details. I did not really know the background. And one of the things that's amazing is her story of faithfulness. So to give you a little context, a little background, Corey Tim Boom, she grew up in the Netherlands. She was born, I think, 1893. She died 1985, somewhere about there. She was born in the Netherlands. She obviously lived during the time of World War II. There was a time where Germany, they made this march towards Paris Right? So if you're looking at the, the world map, they head west. West for y'all would be this way. For me, it's this way. Right? They head west, and on their conquest west, they pass through the Netherlands. They come to her hometown. They conquer it on their march to Paris. Here's what was true, though, of Corrie ten Boom and her family. They were followers of Jesus. They'd come to believe that God in heaven was true. They had sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for them, and they believed it and had changed their whole family. So the Nazis come. They take over her town. Everyone moves on, except all of a sudden with the Nazis come the persecution of the Jews, the Holocaust. To all of a sudden in her city, in her town, and those around her, Jews begin to be taken. They're carted off to concentration camps. They're killed. Corrie ten Boom and her family, they're faced with this decision on, okay, what do we do? Right? Because you can imagine right there, they must have had, like imagine what it would have been like. Her, her, her hometown was called, I believe it's pronounced Harlem. It's like Harlem, but add an extra E. Like her friends, they're in this town. They would have seen these German conquerors, these Nazi invaders come into the town, impose this broken, sinful, prejudiced worldview and mindset. She would have seen all that. And then she would have gone to moments where her neighbors were there, these other people. 
there would have been these questions like, hey, what do you think? Hey, what should we do? I can imagine her and her family going to other friends who believed in Christ, who went to the same church, thinking, hey, what are you guys going to do? What should we do? I was thinking about that this week because I, I find myself, when I hear stories like this, I intentionally try to put myself in the middle of the story and I ask myself, John, what would you do? We all love to view ourselves as this like amazing hero who always makes the right decision, who always does the right thing, but with this like sobriety of the soul. John, what would you do? Because I can imagine there's kind of three choices in that moment. There's a choices, is, is the Germans come like other people in her hometown and this happened to her, right? You could basically just join the Nazi movement. Like you could just fully commit. Like the people in the community that would have come and they would have found out, oh, hey, this family, I think I heard whispers, they're hiding Jews, they're protecting people. Or hey, this person, they're spreading resistance propaganda or they're saying things you can't say. Hey, hey Gestapo, German secret police. Hey, you should know this. Right, you could just join you could go what I imagine was like a middle path of just the silent. Like the ones who maybe you did have like this good intention in your heart, but your whole mindset was, man, just keep your head down. Don't say anything. Be quiet. Keep your head down. One foot in front of the other. Stay alive. And then it was a, a third camp. Resist. Like the army had been defeated, man. There's no more war. But resist from within. And like here's the question. What would we do? Like, who would we follow, right? Because there would have been other leaders in the community that said, no, man, hey, you just got to join, right? They're going to win this war anyway. Or, or perhaps the bigotry, the racism, the prejudice of what they're pushing, the sin, the absolute sin. Hey, they're right. They're right. You got to go. That, that crowd in the middle, you would have come and there would have been people who just said, hey, hey, you can't help everyone. Just make sure you help yourself. Like, keep your head down. We're the ones, faithful part of this Dutch Reformed church who just had this realization of, okay, who am I going to follow? Like, I got to listen to someone. Who am I going to follow? And they, by faith, in that moment, because of what Scripture says, the reality of who Jesus Christ is, believing there is a quality and dignity in the hearts of every man, every woman, every child, saying, I will oppose from within. It's amazing because they would have had to decide like, okay, which way are we going to go? Who are we going to follow? It's amazing because there was a day where the door got kicked in. The door got kicked in by, by partly the German Gestapo and then their Dutch counterpart. At that point, there was about 30 people in her house, Corrie ten Boom's house. There were six hiding Jews the Gestapo never found. All 30 of them were arrested Corey Tim Boom is eventually taken to a concentration camp called Ravensburg. The question comes though, who would we follow? Who would you follow? Honestly, man, honestly, what would we do? Like it, it got me thinking because every person in those categories, the category of men, we could just join the Nazis, the category of that like, like silent, arguably perhaps majority that just did nothing and then those who resisted, they all followed some internal ethic or some leader. And it just got me thinking, especially as we look at this text today, it so deeply matters who we follow. It so deeply matters that we not just follow a leader, but we follow the right leader. Let me share with you why I think this matters, especially in like a contemporary setting. This past week, I had the privilege, went to see some family up in New York, and I walked past, we're walking down the street, there's this kind of like billboard on the street for an upcoming uh, Mr. Rogers movie, right? Y'all seen the previews for this? Mr. Rogers, Tom Hanks gonna play Mr. Rogers, right? If you don't know who he is, red sweater, really friendly guy, all this kind of stuff. This billboard had it, and then it had a review down at the bottom. And all these billboards, they put reviews that really celebrate this movie because they want to get you to go see it. And this review down at the bottom, I wrote it down. They said, this is the movie that we as a nation need for a time like this. This is the movie that we as a nation need 
for a time like this. Man, it immediately got me thinking. I immediately started going through in my head, like, why, why would they say that? And then I just thought about the current reality. Right, if you, if you turn on news, like, America's had times of tremendous division. I, I'm not competing or comparing with that, but what I'm saying is, we are tre- tremendously divided as a people. Like, you could come and you could easily hear, I hate Republicans, man. They hate foreigners. They hate minorities. They are the most disgenerous, unkind people. I hate Republicans. I hate Democrats. They are liberal. They are leftist. They're imposing. You put whatever word you want to it. We're in a time conservative, liberal, Republican, Democrat, white, black, rich, poor, foreigner, citizen. I I was watching the news this past week, and I I saw, oh, to impeach or not to impeach? Who are you going to follow? Who will you listen to? Like I I saw this past week, a a congressman was on the news, and he said, hey, you want to make sure you're on the right side of history? If you've never heard that phrase, you're going to hear that repeatedly, make sure you're on the right side of history. How do you make sure you're on the right side of history? Like, how do you know? Who do you follow? Which way do you go? I want to be on the right side of history. I want to follow the right leader, the right people. What I love about that is we really do have choices on who we follow and where we go. What I love about that is today, what we're going to see in this text, is we're going to see not just that it matters that you follow a leader, but it matters that you and I follow the right leader. And guys, the, 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 the reality of it too is what's at stake matters far more than Republican, Democrat. What happens in 2020, what happens in 2024, the stakes are much higher. So I want to look at in the midst of the division, in the midst of the confusion, how do you and I make sure that we follow the right leader? And for followers of Christ, you probably already know this punchline. Here's here's the right leader. It is Jesus Christ. That is absolutely who you follow. That is who you put your trust in. It's not a political party. It's not a person. It's not a politician. It's not an economic policy, uh, domestic, foreign. It is in Jesus Christ. We do not decide a lot of things because he's already decided That's who we follow. But man, if you're here and you don't believe in Jesus, then what I would tell you, what Paul's gonna show us is there's two paths in life. Choose wisely. It's it's one of those topics, even this passage, when I read it, you'll get this feel for it. Like sometimes, a lot of times, you wanna come and give almost a sense of levity and humor because humor can keep people engaged. And if you go just a little too intense and even in the preaching, which I have a tendency towards intensity, those of you who've been here, right? If you stay a little too intense for too long, it becomes just too much for people. So you wanna like add this humor. Guys, this passage today that we're going to see, there's nothing but pleading sincerity from a follower of Jesus Christ who lived 2,000 years ago to say, follow the right leader. Where we're going to see this is Philippians chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 17 through 21. The first part when it comes to thinking through how we follow the right leader, first thing we can do is you can follow your flesh. You can follow what you want. The second is going to be follow your faith. To kind of give you guys a little background on, on what's taking place as we look at man, it matters that we follow the right leader. Two weeks ago, we talked about how Jesus, he's better. Like his way of salvation, you don't earn it. You don't work for it. You just believe that he paid the penalty for all of your foolishness, for all of mine. That saves you. And then from that, like walking in accordance with his way, yes, you will have bad days, but you'll be marked by a joy and a peace, a sense of hope that many folks spend their lifetime trying to find, never able to grasp it. That was two weeks ago. Last week, we talked about how because Jesus is better, how do you and I 
own it? How do we take responsibility for a passionate pursuit of Jesus Christ? Not, not just come and check this Christianity box once a week by Sunday service, but really look at our faith and say, I'm going to own it, man. I'm going to press on. I'm going to strain forward. I want to run. I want more of Christ in every way. God, help me own it. And then this week, what Paul's going to do is he's going to remind us, man, he's always better. You fight to own it. And you're always following the right leader. But there's two ways that it can go. So if you have a Bible, I'm going to read out of Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through 21. 17 through 21. And then we're going to jump up actually to 18. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. What I want to do is, having, having read that, I want to jump up to a part because this passage, we're going to pull it out in two themes, right? Verse 17, Paul starts down one theme, and he's going to almost interrupt himself. And 18 and 19 is the first theme I want to talk about, and then we're going to come back to 17. So if you will, read with me again 18 and 19. For many of whom I have told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. When it comes to the reality that it matters that we follow the right leader, you have options, like you have choices here. And you have a choice to not follow the right leader, but follow your flesh. So flesh, it's this biblical term, and what it means, it's the part in you and the part in me that doesn't want to honor God, that doesn't want to obey God, that doesn't want to follow God. Like, if you're not a believer, it's you operating apart from God. It's flesh. And what Paul says, why it matters so much that we follow the right leader is what happens when we follow our flesh. He starts out by saying, there are many who walk as enemies of the cross. Walk here, it, it means your daily conduct. It's, it's like the direction of your life, right? They walk is what? Enemies of the cross. This word enemies, it, it doesn't mean uh, like two soldiers in battle fighting each other. It doesn't even include the sense of warfare to that degree. It speaks to despising someone else, hating someone else. And he says, they walk as enemies of what? Of the cross. Paul likely, he's speaking to two groups of people here. The first group, they would have been Judaizers. We talked about them the past few weeks. Judaizers were people who came and they confused the real teachings of Jesus. That they would come and they would say, yes, no, no. In order to go to heaven, in order to have a relationship with God, you must believe in Jesus. They'd say that. But then they would say, and in addition to believing, you must behave. You must do these things, in particular for them, aspects of Old Testament law. They would take faith and they would add works. As soon as you add works, you have an anti-gospel, an anti-good news. That is not how you have a relationship with God. That would have been the first group. People who came, false teachers, and confused it. The second group would have been Gentiles. It's just non-believers in that context. Just people who are like, I don't need God. I don't need Jesus. I don't need to follow that. Both people make themselves an enemy of the cross. Why? Like they make themselves an enemy of the cross. Why? Because they look at the cross of Jesus Christ and they say, I don't need it. They look at the cross of Jesus Christ and say, I don't want it. You have to remember, what is the cross? It is a symbolic demonstration where Jesus atoned in, in real, literal history for the sins of the world. 
the kindest thing. It's this invitation to a relationship with him. And it's like they take that invite and they just say, no. I love, too, how Paul responds to people who do this. Because so often, I don't think this is how Christians today respond. But it must be how we respond. I love how Paul responds. He doesn't condemn them. He's heartbroken for them. He starts by, he says, hey, these are the people of whom I've told you. He's talked about these folks in the past to them. And then he says, and I now tell you, even with tears, false teachers, people who just denied God flat out, people who didn't want to know him, did Paul condemn them? No. He wept for them. Like reading this passage this past week, it was convicting as I stopped and I thought, when was the last time I cried for the reality of the people who do not know God? And if you ever wonder like how to make that personal, you'll have this. Who's someone you love that does not know Jesus Christ? When was the last time trusting in God's sovereign grace, you pled, you pled for them to know him, not because you're a better person than them, not because you sit from your ivory spiritual tower looking down on them, but because you were once in the muck, in the mire, in a fool yourself, and God came into your pit, and he pulled you out, called you son, called you daughter. Paul goes on to talk about what marks people who follow their flesh. He gives four things. He says their end is destruction. Their end, it literally means their, their ultimate destiny. He's talking about their eternity. And then what does he say? Their end is destruction. This word means destruction. Torment. Punishment. Like, you remember where I said, I wish I could add more levity to the tone of the text? But if I did that, I wouldn't be teaching the text. Like right here, especially now, there, there is a movement in Christian evangelicals people who say Jesus Christ is their Lord, who, who sometimes will even come and say they trust the authority of Scripture and they want to erase the Bible, or excuse me, erase hell from their Bible. Hell is a real place of eternal conscious torment set apart from God. There is no all roads lead to the top of the mountain. There is a way to the top of the mountain, and his name is Jesus Christ. Jesus understood the reality of hell. Do you know Jesus talked about hell more than anyone else in your New Testament? Like he explicitly, he, he empowered the writing of it, but he explicitly. Matthew 13, 42, Jesus describes hell. He says it's a fiery furnace where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth because the reality that hell is so dark because you are apart from God, that is why Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. The first mark of me when I followed my flesh, when I was not a believer in Christ, my end was destruction, eternally apart from God. Second thing that marks it. Happy Sunday, right? Who wants to go get like a brunch after this or something, right? Point two, their God is their belly. I love to their God. You are made to worship. Do you know that? You will worship someone or you will worship something. That can be science. That can be further education, right? That, that, that can be the reality that the human body has not yet had enough time to evolve to a greater state of enlightenment. You, a, a politician, a party, a hope, minimalism, stoicism, Confucianism, pick one. You're made to worship something. Their God is their belly. Their belly literally meant abdomen. He's speaking to appetites. Like he's talking about their God is their belly. They just chase what they want. It's like this idea of sensual desire. Like if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, here's what should not surprise any person that does. That they would pursue whatever they want. Like you guys heard the phrase YOLO, you only live once. It's this mindset, it's like the same theme of a bucket list. Go all in now, YOLO, you only live once. Here's what's true, you live for an eternity. Live for the eternity. 
Their God is their belly, the third thing that marks those who follow their flesh. They glory in their shame. They, they not only do sinful things, and here's the thing, church. When I say they not only do, you're capable of this too. And apart from Christ, you'd still be in this too. It so matters to me that one of the sins that springs community church, if you're a member here, that we take so deeply serious is our tendency towards self-righteousness. Because I'll tell you what, this town reeks of it. Own your sin, even if you don't put a needle in your arm, even if you're not addicted, even if you, you haven't come and had the affair, your judgment, your wickedness, your temper, your greed, your, your high view of self, your apathy towards the things of God. Don't glory in that shame either. But what is true of people who are marked by their following their flesh? They glory in their shame. This is why you shouldn't be surprised when people come or culture celebrates sin, or as they celebrate sin, they come and they knock on your door and they knock on mine and say, hey, celebrate it too. If you loved me, you would celebrate it too. Never be surprised at that. Fourth thing that marks people who follow their flesh, they have minds set on earthly things. Like they live for this life, not for the other. Here's what's true biblically. Like if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, like sincere, like you believe by grace through faith, you believe in Jesus Christ as your savior, this world is the closest thing to hell you will ever know. If you don't believe in Jesus Christ, and I bet if you don't, like you, you hear me say this, you're like, this guy's crazy, right, fine. I, at least with full conscience, I've told you. If you don't believe in Jesus Christ, the closest thing you will ever know to heaven is this world. Y'all track with that? Like your best chance at joy, fleeting pleasure is here. So go for it. I can remember, uh, uh, I was in a major city a while ago, and I remember walking out of a tunnel, and I came out, and I was in the middle of a pride parade, right? And I can remember sitting there and, and watching this pride parade, and I wanted to see what was going on. Like, here's what I would say, especially as we go do this. Members of the LGBTQ community, trans, uh, gender non-binary, using pronouns, I don't care who you are, you're welcome here. We love you. We will support you. We will help you. We will not affirm what is sin. I pray the Springs' relationship with you or that community, it doesn't hinge on affirmation. It would hinge on love. But I can remember going to this parade and wanting to care, wanting to pray, wanting to see people who felt like because they couldn't come and express the sense of identity anywhere else, they want to come and celebrate it in that way. And I can remember watching a truck go by, this truck, it had a flatbed, there was a pole on the back, and there was a man dancing on this pole on the back, dressed scantily, clad clothes, all this stuff. And I can remember he uh, had a tattoo across both of his thighs. And I can remember seeing this and being saddened and appreciating his honesty. You guys ever heard the phrase, live fast, die hard? Right? This phrase that he had tattooed, live fast, but the other part didn't say die hard. There was another word, it was an expletive, and it meant to pursue the lust of the flesh in any and every way that you could. And that's what he tattooed across this. And I can remember seeing this man dancing as I'm standing here, as I'm thinking, I'm praying, not looking down in self-righteousness, and thinking, man, that guy knows this is his closest thing to heaven as of now. I say that. He could be a Christian, actually. Right? I was wrong in what I just said. He could have been a Christian, just acting in complete and utter rebellion, needing to walk in repentance from that. But man, there's this moment. And then there's this sincere sadness. This sincere reality over any person in any sin, especially those growing up in the church that I feel like they can't talk about it because they'll be shunned. Because no one will understand, no one will listen, no one will love. Jesus Christ would have never treated people that way. For he came not for the, the, the righteous, for they have no need of a physician, but he came for the sick. Because here's the thing, guys. 
The expressions of my sin look different than his, but before I knew Christ, I never had the tattoo. Generally, I had that same life motto. Guess who died for my sin? Jesus. Guess who died for the guy dancing? Jesus. What was the only difference? By the grace of God, I knew his kindness. And that man didn't. But that's what happens when we follow our flesh. That's why so many times it matters. Like if I were to come and ask, man, when was the last time, if you believe in Jesus, that you had a spiritual conversation with someone who was far from God? When was the last time Church, that's got to be this week. That's got to be this weekend. I am explicitly talking about evangelism. I am talking about leaning into awkward moments where we tell the person cutting our hair, driving our Uber, our neighbor across the fence, that we invite for dinner into our house and we're nervous and we pray before we don't quite know how to say it or how to share, or our colleague that we're going to go to lunch with that we intentionally ask our community group to pray for before we invite them to lunch because we want to share, hey, would you mind if I tell you something that really matters to me? When was the last time you had a spiritual conversation with someone who was far from God because at one time you were? And God in his grace found a way to tell you. Do you see how it matters that we follow the right leader? Because even when people follow their flesh, even when you and I, knowing Christ, have a tendency to do this, Jesus Christ always comes to tell. He always came to plead with like bloody nail-pierced hands saying, I've, I've bought you, you're forgiven, come home. Where we like take our filthy garments off and he gives us new, white, clean, pure robes where, where not because of anything we do, but because of his kindness, his favor, his grace, God looks on us and says, beloved, chosen, adopted, heir. We have that. We must tell the world, because some people, as we once did, and we are no better than, follow their flesh. What I want to do now is I want to read that, the other theme that I was telling you guys about. It starts in verse 17, and then we're going to skip 18 and 19, and then we're going to pick it up in 20 and 21. As Paul, he kind of interrupts himself, and then he continues a second thought as we look at, it matters that we follow the right leader. So verse 17, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Skipping down now to verse 20, but, this is just after he gave the contrast of those who follow their flesh, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. For the second theme is we continue to see that it matters that we follow not just a leader, but the right leader. The second theme that we talk about is the one that you follow is you follow your faith. Your leader is Jesus Christ. And I love how Paul sets this up. He, he starts this out by saying, Paul, Paul's gonna call them to imitate his faith. Why? because he with integrity is imitating the faith of Christ. He starts it here by calling him brothers. It, it would have been like, hey, church, hey, friends, hey, people who know God the way I know God. And he says, join in imitating me. Imagine that. Paul says, hey, when you're confused, when you need an example to look to of what it means to press on, of what it means to strain forward, of what it means to pursue Christ-likeness with everything that you have, when you need an example of that, and, and like, God, he just seems too far off, it's too confusing, look at my life. And here's what's amazing about that. Paul was not perfect. So to imitate his faith is to imitate his faithfulness. The moments where by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit in his life, he honored Jesus. He was ready to give a defense for the hope that he had, and he did it with gentleness and respect. He didn't argue and lose his temper. But for the moments when though his flesh crept up, though he had desire of the lust, man, he put it to death. The moments when he wanted to come and cope outside of the things of God, sit in prolonged despair unnecessarily that he fought 
to rejoice. Imitate his faithfulness. And there's another thing you'd have to imitate, his repentance. The moments of his confession before God, his acknowledgement of sin before others, and his desire to say, hey, I need to flee youthful passions, and I need to pursue with faith with those who call on the Lord. His repentance. I love thinking about that because I really do believe that that is a standard for Christian leadership. Not that you have your life altogether. That's what people think, man. They gotta have all the right answers. That is a lie. You have to have a faith, imperfect as it is, where people can come and the more they get to know you, there's this integrity to, nah, man, he's busted, she's busted. He's broken, she's broken. But if you point it out to them, they wanna repent. They wanna grow. They wanna walk by faith. They want to be a man or a woman of real spiritual substance. Every person needs help on the journey to glory. Every single person. Who do we follow? I love where he says after that, not just to imitate me, but he says, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Paul, he says, hey, don't just imitate me. Imitate other faithful men and women. People he likely had, if you remember, you've been tracking with this book through us, he's likely referring to Timothy, Epaphroditus. He's writing this letter to the church in Philippi. It would have been the, the elders there, the Philippi, uh, uh, Philippian elders. And then other faithful men and women. I bet he has in mind Lydia. And he's saying, find those people. Imitate their faith. To imitate it means to be an image of, to copy like how many of us, we come and we talk about, man, it's good to have a mentor. It's good to have a mentor. Here's what I'm asking you. Who, if you're single, who do you know that trusted God enough to date in a way that honored him? And you now find yourself wanting to date or dating. How have you gone to them to say, will you help me be faithful? Who do you know, and these do not have to be the same person. Who do you know that when it comes to their finances, they are sacrificially generous, that their money sincerely does not master them. Their desire to be debt-free does not master them. Their desire to honor Christ. Who do you know? How do you imitate that? Who do you know that loves God's word, that fights to store it in their soul so in the moment of temptation, they can combat brokenness? How do you imitate them? Who do you know whose work ethic doesn't overdo it and become a workaholic? But when they come and they, in their own industry, when they put their hand to the plow, they do so to glorify God. Who do you know whose marriage, when you get around it, man, it's just different? Imitate that. Go ask them. And if your problem is, is you don't want to tell people that you're not where they might think you are, repent. Follow the right leader. Because what Paul wants is, and this is where he goes with the rest of it, Paul wants us living for our eternal life, not just this earthly life. And, and that's where he's going to go through. He wants us living in the reality of the hope that is to come, the eternal life, not just the earthly life that we have. He, he finishes that. He says, excuse me, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. I love this. The next thing Paul does, if you remember when you're focused on the flesh, you're focused on things of this earth, right out of that context, Paul says, where's our focus? Our citizenship is in heaven. Do you ever wonder why, no matter what area of your life, you have this tendency to not feel like you belong. Like I imagine it started for you like when you were a kid in school or middle school, you go to find which table you sit at or high school or man, you went to college, you tried to join the fraternity, sorority, the pre-med club, the whatever political science club and you're always trying to find places you belong and you can find places where you get a little more comfortable, a little closer, but never quite there to where even amongst friends, even amongst family, you have this tendency to feel like a stranger like you come out in life, you chase that, you try to find it in community, and I do believe through the local church, you can find a deeper and deeper expression on God's people of this. 
but you never fully find it. Why? If you believe in Jesus, you do not belong here. Your citizenship is in heaven. Citizenship, it's like your formal status. It's like you're an American who goes and lives in a foreign land. This would have connected for the people in Philippi. They were a Roman colony. So what that meant was they were Roman citizens. But man, they're in Greece. Rome is in Italy. They are not in Rome. People who live by faith, they know my citizenship is there. That's going to be the place where I finally belong. That's going to be the place where I finally feel. And you get tastes of it in this life. You get glimmers. You get shadows of it. But where you finally feel like, oh, man, I belong. Brothers, sisters, brother Jesus, Father God, Holy Spirit doing it all. And from it, we await a Savior Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. What Paul's building towards here is he's talking about heaven, is this is the emotional thing he's trying to resolve in the hearts of the people there. He's trying to resolve, hey, one day, it's all going to be worth it. Hey, one day, all the straining, all the fear, all the striving towards faithfulness and yet falling in sin and then walking in repentance and having to say, will you forgive me? And deviating between, well, my intention was good, but my impact was sin. All the moments where you and I wish that someone would just come and be our judge outside of God and just say, hey, really, they're trying. It's gonna get better. Just keep going. This is when Paul is saying, hey, man, there's gonna come a day where our Savior, who we await, it means eager expectation, hopeful longing. He's coming back. He's gonna come back, and when he does, this lowly body, this brokenness, my tendency to sin, it'll be gone. I'll have this glorified body. We talked about this last week. I'll have this new body where I'm perfected in the image of God. I'm refashioned, redesigned. I'm made new. I'll no longer have to fear my tendency to create pain through my sin. I'll finally get to see him face to face. I'll finally feel a sense of rest. I won't have to press on. I won't have to strain forward. Why? I will be there. That's what he's building towards. And then he comes and he adds this line at the very bottom, by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. I love this because it's like, like Paul is leaning into the hearts of this Philippian church. And even as they hear this, there's this sense of like, man, come quickly. Please come. And almost like, hey, that, that just feels too good to be true. How could he do all of this? How could he come? How could he set free? And he says, by the same power that he right now rules and reigns at the right hand of the Father, subjecting all creation under him. There has never been a moment of your life where Jesus Christ did not know, see, and had sovereign oversight of. He's never been out of control. He's never been surprised. Why has he not come then to end the pain, to fix the sorrow, to end the suffering? There's still people who follow their flesh. There's still people that Jesus is going to bring to come to know him that he wants to come to know him. He's patient. But not as some count slowness. He desires none should perish, but all should come to repentance. Church, that's why it matters that we follow the right leader. It matters that in this world, in the tensions of political or neighborhood or your friend group or your community group or the fact that you've never been to church, you're back to church now, and you're just trying to figure out where you're going, you're like a compass spinning, trying to find true north, True North is named Jesus Christ. He really does love you. It does not matter what you've done. He has come to extend forgiveness. If you know him, it does not matter how you've squandered knowing him. How this faith of yours, like you really are deeply self-righteous and you know it, yet as soon as you walk out those doors, you're gonna try to stuff the conviction of the Holy Spirit and not deal with it, even though you should repent. He loves you. 
He died for you. He died for every ounce of me that's foolish, every ounce of me that still has a tendency to be wicked. He died for my neighbors that don't know him, and he died for my neighbors that do. We must tell. There's two paths you can walk. It matters that you follow the right leader. How do you know which leader you're following? Are you following your flesh, what's right to you? Or are you following faith? If you don't know Christ, all you gotta do is believe. There's no magic formula. I listened to a priest this past week give a talk on how the way you have a relationship with God is you believe in him and then you do good works. And here's what I'm telling you. That priest is an enemy of the cross. God doesn't want that for you. He did not want that for me. And I did that for some time and I dragged the name of Jesus Christ through the dirt as I did it. I wanna close with this. Corey Ten Boom, that story I told you, I spent some time thinking about it this past week. It's amazing where it goes and, and many of you, I imagine, you probably know it better than I do. Her family door gets kicked in the Gestapo and then the, the, the Dutch counterpart of the Gestapo, they're there. They arrest everyone. Corrie ten Boom ends up being sent to Ravensburg concentration camp. She goes there with her sister, Betsy. They even smuggled a Bible in in the evenings after working during the day. They'd come, they'd do these Bible studies, and there's this theme. And she, she writes about this in an autobiography called The Hiding Place. Right? There's this theme on the forgiveness and the love of Jesus Christ. And she's teaching that in this concentration camp to these Jews huddled for fear of Nazis finding out. They continue on, the war progresses. It's 1944, it's approaching December. Four days before Allied soldiers come and free her from Ravensburg, she watches as her sister Betsy dies. She and Betsy had this vision to create this like rehabilitation center slash hospital slash like spiritual counseling environment for people who had endured concentration camps and needed a place of recovery. So following the war, she went and did that. This benefactor gave her this mansion. She invited people in. She begins caring for folks. Once that's established, she goes on this missionary pilgrimage. Where did she go? She went to Germany. She went through Germany. The people, likely having surrendered, who had come and knocked in doors, if not hers, many others, and told them love and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. There's this amazing point, too, because you, you could totally end the story there, but God is so gracious that the story goes. There's this moment where she's preaching her story on the love and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ at this church in Munich. She gives this sermonette of a testimony. She's down in the basement. At the end of it, the crowd goes to leave, and everyone's kind of funneling out, and she sees one man coming forward. Crowd's funneling out, one man coming forward. He has a great overcoat. About halfway through, she realizes who he is. He walks up and he says, I heard your story. I was a guard at Ravensburg. He's German. I was a guard at Ravensburg. Since then, I've come to know the love and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. He has forgiven me for the cruelty of my sins. I wanted to come and ask your forgiveness as well. And he extended his hand. He didn't remember her. He didn't know her. Here's what was true of Corey Tim Boom. She remembers the moment she first saw that man. It was the moment they were out in a yard. She had just been stripped naked and her shoes taken. The same with her sisters. They were thrown to his side. He was in the middle of the yard. Her sister walked in front of her, Betsy, the one that would die. Her sister walked in front of her. She, she describes Betsy's ribs as so sharp because they poked out. And they walk past this man in humiliation as he never remembers her face, but she will never forget his. He comes in his gray overcoat in the basement of this Munich church, extends his hand. And there's this moment, she describes it in the hiding place where there's this moment where to her feels like hours, it, it was probably seconds, as his hand is extended where she's sitting there, she's praying to God, she's just taught him forgiveness, she's working through all this, she doesn't know what to do, and then she says, I don't need to feel faithful, I need to be faithful. And she just takes his hand. She says, I forgive you. She hugged him and she said in that moment, it was the warmest embrace of the love of God she has ever felt in her entire life. 
Let me ask you, who were they following? What might have changed if they weren't following their faith? What if Corey Tin Boom, there's a moment where she's never hiding Jews with her family back in Harlem. What if that happened? What if in that moment it said she followed her flesh? What, what, what if the concentration guard had never come by the grace of God in the quickening of his spirit had come to a place of repentance? What if he'd never gone to the church in Munich? What if he followed his flesh? Praise be to God. They followed the right leader. That leader's name was and is and will forever be Jesus Christ. He wants to make concentration guards Christians. He wants to make fearful young women absolute abolitionists protecting people. Because here's the truth, y'all. We can be both of them, and he redeems all of them. He came for you. He came for me. Follow the right leader. Let me pray. Lord, we need your help to follow you. Father, even as as Jesus, he prayed in the garden, the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. Would you come and give strength to our dry bones? Would you make us men who love you, women who walk by faith, those who love people who don't know you, believe in you, who mock you, who glory in their shame as we once did. May we love, may we stand for truth, but may we love. Father, would you help us to pursue you, to realize, man, we don't belong here. Yeah, try to find a glimpse of heaven. Try to make your little slice of Eden, but you never will. Our home is there. And you've made a way And all you ask is that we believe. We love you. Thank you for first loving us. And thank you for now helping us to love you more. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, guys, hey, thank you all for coming and joining us this morning. If you have questions about anything or you want to talk about how to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, turn to a neighbor, ask them, are you a follower of Jesus? If they say yes, ask them, how do you have that faith? If there's confusion, I'll be right down here. Y'all go. Have a great week of worship. We'll see you next week.